other games and it wasn't it wasn't really fun it was there was a compulsion about it mm-hmm. that transcended fun a little bit you know um, <laughs> is, that, is that good it, or bad <laughs> it sounds a little ambivalent it, well <laughs> I, don't, I don't know <laughs> um but there was a, a little bit of a quality to it to uh-huh. the fun that was different Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, we are talking to Sid Meier, who needs no introduction. So I think we're up to is... So Pirates came out. I guess we should talk a little bit about how people responded to Pirates, Um, because certainly that must have been interesting. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm trying to remember. I, I, um, I think it was good. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess it, it did win a couple of awards. I guess we were getting into, um, awards season then, yep. you know, computer gaming world would give out awards and origins would give out awards. And I think it, I think it won a couple of awards, which was, you know, gratifying, cool in the, in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was, a we, big, it was a big seller. I assume. I, mean, I, I think like so. Well. I think so. Um, it was. I started hearing from different people. I think you know the the simulators would would kind of right. appeal to a certain audience, and yeah. and we were kind of broadening um, broadening the the audience, and and, and started to uh, hear from from people that we hadn't heard from before, and that was that was 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 cool, you know, and it was, and it was. <clears throat> You know, there's the story about how that was the first Sid Meier game that, yep. you know, Bill said, no, you need to do another airplane game. <laughs> and, um, said, you know, well, put your name on it and uh, maybe, maybe they'll buy it. The <laughs> maybe they'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that was that was the um, <clears throat> that was the first Sid Meier, Sid Meier's game. Right. Um, and Bill actually, I was reading somewhere, he has a slightly different take on that. So really? a lot of these stories are, are his, shrouded in mystery. I think, I think Robin Williams suggested him, suggested that he oh, put it I think I've in. read that story too, that he yeah. said, Robin Williams said something about the, that the people who make the game should be known. Right. They should be right. famous, like actors so, too. And Yeah. A lot of the early stories are now shrouded in, in mystery, and, <laughs> but the age of legends, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> but that's how I remember it, at least. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, cool. And uh, did that? Did he? Did Bill want you to get back to work on military games when Pirates was done? Or I think I think we kind of um, uh, got away from that. Okay. Uh, I think Pirates was did well enough that it kind of proved that we could do different things and try and going off in slightly different directions mm-hmm. and uh, and be okay with that. Um, so I, I think I started working on Covert Action as kind of a uh, slightly similar kind of mini-game plus story uh, type of game. And was... I, I know within the company we started working on Sword of the Samurai. That wasn't 
I was not involved with that, but kind of right. as a as a how do we do in other pirates but different, you know? Yeah. Um, was covert? It was covert action, not railroad tycoon. That was the immediate. Well, there there got into an interesting period between covert action, railroad tycoon, and and uh, civilization. Uh-huh. They yeah, all kind of, kind of merged and intertwined okay. in in a, in a kind of a weird way. But I right. but I. I uh, think I was starting to work on covert action. I mean, I can and, see that when I finally did play covert action, I was like, "Oh, it's the pirates' windowing system, mm-hmm. right?" Like, I was like, "Okay, it looks like I can see the thread of like we're going to do pirates, except it's going to be a mm-hmm. espionage, yeah, game or whatever. yeah, yeah." So that um, there, there was a each of those games had a trajectory that mm-hmm. on their own, and then they also kind of overlapped and interacted with each other. Um, in a in a in a in a kind of a strange way, um, I think that was the time when I started working with Bruce uh, specifically, mm-hmm. and we were um, given a little more freedom, I guess, uh, in those days because uh, the company had grown, and, and we were, um, in a way, maybe doing games like Covert Action and you know non-simulator games that perhaps Bill wasn't quite as. Uh, you know, hands-on. Right. You know, I think with with the simulator games, he, he, he took a large part of of playing and, and you know, you know, and kind of uh, giving suggestions. These games were not quite as um, you know directly applicable to what he what he liked to do. Um, but um, yeah, the Railroad Tycoon. The the genesis of that game was um, uh, I went on vacation to the to the to the beach in the summer for a week or two and. Took my computer and um, created this little model railroading simulation. You know, mm-hmm. little little. It had been, I'd been I'd built a I worked on a model railroad when I was a kid with my father, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember taking ages and ages to do anything and put all these little spikes in and. Right. Uh, and it was like, wow, wouldn't it be great to be able to do that? What, what takes six months, you know, in real life to do in in five minutes on, on a computer. Yeah. Um, so that, um, had you it, played, had SimCity come out before you started working? It Earth? was in that same time frame. Yeah. Prop, I'm not sure exactly the timing, but, uh, SimCity, I think kind of encouraged the, the tra- trajectory of, of railroad, of railroad which was okay. kind of to just get bigger and more, you know, add another layer, add another layer. So starting at, uh, you know, two stations and a train going back and forth and adding a piece of track here or there, you know, to, oh, well, why are we doing that? What are we carrying? Uh, oh, you know, let's go there. Let's have a bigger world to go to different places and, and let's have let's have an economy. Let's have, you know, competition. Wow. Uh, so it, it it grew from this a little fun model railroading, model railroading sim- simulation to again this whole historical um uh take on what was fun about what was fun and interesting about railroads in the time and having bruce there was 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 kind of doubly powerful because he had worked on 1830 the the board game and had some interesting ideas there and we were actually it's one of the games we we kind of would play in the evenings uh, 1830 and Mm -hmm. so that's probably where the where the idea of competition eventually came from is yeah the game would be more 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 fun and kind of a little have a little more edge if there were competition to to be dealt with um that actually went in in like the last you know two weeks <laughs> so, <laughs> oh so it was a little bit broad brush <laughs> but um it, wow. it it kind of got the idea across you know but 
There uh, weren't. There. Are you saying that literally we're not competing railroads on the map before the last until we'll say month? Yeah, <laughs> very close to the end. Um, wow. And they they totally cheat. They they do all. I mean, you see how their tracks kind of into their cities. Like, well, I can't do that. You know, like, well. It's, you know, we didn't have time to, <laughs> to write a full. Do you AI, want competitors but... or not? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, maybe that I'm explains sorry. why. I... Well, I remember what I used to because I got annoyed by them. So what I would used to always do is I would start in Baltimore, and then I would just make my track straight north, and yep. basically I would cordon off. Great. You know, okay, everyone east of New York, that's your territory. Everything right. to the Mississippi, that's my territory. <laughs> and then, then I didn't have to worry about them too much. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, ima- I can understand that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bruce brought the whole historical aspect, you know, and, and really kind of fleshed it out with another awesome uh, manual. And, uh, you know, I think it, 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 it kind of paved the way eventually for civilization, you know, that, that, the, where we ended up with, with railroads. But it, it, um, it was um, we were dealing with four color graphics, and mm-hmm. I mean, we're, this, we're now in the IBM era. I think this was probably the first game. Well, Covert Action was also IBM, but, um, so we were now had now moved over to the IBM PC. Okay. And um, that's a big we're, change. Yeah, that was that was uh, yeah that was. Did it feel we, like suddenly you had? Did you have six forty k at that point? We had six forty k. It must have and, felt like. Yes. <laughs> you didn't that, even, at the beginning, you didn't even know what to do with all this right. memory. Right. Yeah. That we we didn't have to worry about memory for a little while, um, and uh, trying to um, a lot of it was trying to get the idea across in uh, in, in in four color mm-hmm. or, or maybe yeah. luxurious sixteen color mode. Right. Um, I guess and, that's true. You went forward in one way, but backwards in another. Right. So. Right. Right. And then kind of the different scales of mapping or, you know, it's kind of another thing we had to, had to work on. But, um, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a really fun game to develop. Um, and I mean, I think the kind of the core challenges there were, um, fundamentally, you know, only one train can occupy one piece of track at one time. Right. And that, that ripples into lots of weird uh, problems of, of blocks and signals and how do you uh, it's 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 a very complicated problem to to keep one train yeah. from running into another train and is that uh, that's kind of an extension of the way the game began as a yeah since it started as like a model train game sort of right, right? because that's one of the core parts right of that. Mm-hmm. and and part of you know if you're into model railroading blocks uh you know factor into the way you wire things and i mean it's it's kind of a core concept mm-hmm. that is fascinating to a model railroader probably not at all interesting to someone who's not into that and so we we struggled with that kind of question how much how how, how deeply did we want to go into that and we eventually came up with kind of the double tracking idea that okay i've double tracked so that solves the problem, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but otherwise you did have to kind of put your signals to make the blocks work, and, yeah. and then you know all that S- kind of stuff. Similar to how I handle the AI, I just double track everything. <laughs> You're uh, breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I loved I loved Railroad Tycoon. I just I I I thought it was such a good game. But the thing that I found the, the things that I found amazing about it were the resource tree. Mm-hmm. Like making the decisions of 
of, you know, looking at the map and like, okay, here's where the resources come from and here's the market for the resources. And I got to figure out how to optimize the best arrangement of my tracks so that, you know, this train is going to pick up the, what's a good example, the lumber, I guess, pick right. up the trees and then mm-hmm. take it to the lumber mill and then be able to, then another train will need to be there at the right time to get the paper, to take it to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, while, you know, the, doing the lucrative passenger mail uh, business right. and, and on top of that, it was a moving target because where it wasn't just there was a set of cities, but the the cities would grow depending upon whether they were serviced by the right. the tracks. So mm-hmm. something that was started the game as a tiny town and not really a market, if you invested in it, would become a big town. And now suddenly you had a big market there. Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. I you know to me that was railroad tycoon. Yeah, I um, think yeah. No, I I I think that stuff worked well and. And and was intuitive, you know. I think that that that's the other part of it is that it made sense that if you took wood here, that would turn into that, and you could take that over here. And um, <clears throat> so, I, yeah, I think that worked well. We had, I think, we end, ended up with a couple of different modes where, um, you know, you could turn off the whole block train stuff if you mm-hmm. wanted to. Um, you could only worry about supply, and and demand was kind of. Um, you know, waved any city of this size or more would take anything, or you know, right. we'd kind of uh, layer the problem so that depending on how kind of how deeply you wanted to get into it, you you could. But others, uh, but I think there were you know some very cool intuitive uh, things that you know just felt good to sure. to take this thing for where they're making it to where they wanted it. Yeah. You know, you were and doing so, a, a, a service for all these people with your train. And yeah. some stuff weighed more, I, I think, right? And so it would uh, take longer to go uphill. <clears throat> Right. Paths and... the, the five categories, you know, the mail, passenger, fast freight, regular freight, and right. slow freight. And then the the uh, slow freight would be heavy and slow, um, but you'd have larger quantities. And, and it was not time sensitive, so, you know, slow stuff just mattered how much you brought. But with mail, it was very important to get there really fast. Yeah. You get paid more if you got there fast. So there was yeah. kind of different different considerations, enough enough different things to kind of... Uh, think about that you could come up with a clever strategy to to uh that, you know that, that really worked well yeah and uh, yeah there was plenty of to me there was plenty of game there just you know all those those aspects of it right and i guess looking back i guess maybe it's not too surprising that you know, the competition was brought in because it, <laughs> it seems like if you had another six months you could have maybe really made something interesting with the right. competition right um i mean it was neat that stuff was in there but it wasn't. It wasn't really to me what the game was was about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, we had this rate war mechanic, which was, yeah, you could kick the other guys out if mm-hmm. they were went to a city that you wanted by giving them better service, you know. But that in those six months that we didn't have, that's probably where we would have invested our effort to make it by you know really make it uh, clear and, and and doable that by running your railroad well you could kick those bums out of there and you know yeah. and they wouldn't bother you anymore yeah. uh, but that that's 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 probably what yeah what didn't well quite i mean there had to be certain i mean you'd have to for example like i think essentially you all your your tracks always had to be connected right yeah you couldn't have mm-hmm. two networks right right and so mm-hmm. you'd probably have to introduce that to you know get around the whole 
cordoning them off in mm, New, mm. New England problem, right? And like, or right. allowing other companies to use your tracks, or I don't know. I mean, having different companies build on the same tiles. I mean, right? Like, you just there's a whole lot that has to be done there, right? There's a yeah. There's there's the problem of where do you stop? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. So well, it's a it's a strange question, right? Like, it, I I wouldn't necessarily say the right answer is just to take out the competition, even if maybe that's you know that's not the part of the game that people are feel strongest about. I mean, I think maybe in my own mind, if if there had been no competition, I might've felt like the game was a little too dry. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I still enjoyed beating, mm-hmm. you know, the other railroads, right? right. Like, right. I like that aspect, but, mm-hmm. um, um, there's some parts of a game's fantasy, I think that are so important that you have to get them in mm-hmm. regardless of how like, how yeah, good. The rules work at that point. <laughs> I, I don't know. Another thing that's interesting to me about, and I, I talked to Bruce about this when I interviewed him, was that I also felt, so this is going back to the whole blocking and switch thing, is that was one part of the game where I really felt like you could see an older version of the game inside the game. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like, um, you know, there was this question of, like, am I making a toy train game or am I making, like, an economic game? Right. Right. And it felt like, like, yeah, that whole blocking and switch part could have just been dropped, but it makes sense that it was in there historically based off mm-hmm. of where you started. Yeah. And, like, sometimes it's very hard. Like, you guys probably didn't even ask yourself this. Maybe, I mean, maybe you did. I mean, I right. don't know if you ever considered just to, I mean, I guess you, you did to some extent because you gave an option to turn mm-hmm. it off. Right, right. right. Um, and, of course, you added double tracking. But, like, mm-hmm. it can be hard when you're developing a game to, like, reevaluate some of the stuff you start with. Yeah, like whether it still makes sense, you know, I where think, your game has ended up. Right, I think that I think that's true. I I think we actually do a fairly good job of that much of the time. Mm-hmm. But there, there. I mean, you've invested your time and energy into figuring something out. It's it's it, it can be you know some inertia there in terms of of changing it or or, or getting it out. But um, yeah, I think I think that's I think you're right. That that does it is kind of a artifact of the early um, the early design of the game and uh you know i think actually you know prototyped other versions and uh have not used that system so i think that's that's a that's a fair commentary (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah but yeah so it's also i mean we've we've kind of gone dancing around this topic a little bit but yeah i think it's also very interesting to compare road tycoon and SimCity to each other because i definitely spent a lot more time playing road tycoon than SimCity, which Mm -hmm. you know i also enjoyed but also like i kind of felt like every time i just filled up the map i didn't know what else Mm -hmm. i didn't know what else to do right um and uh you know where it was it was very it was very nice to feel like I had specific. I mean, I guess you always want to make more money, right? That's a right. Very specific goal. <laughs> um, but there is always some way you can improve your. You know, there's always another frontier or a new way you can improve your, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your resource chain mm-hmm. and how you were. Yeah. You know, there are new engines that were coming online. I mean, that's another right. thing. That's another one of the big differences. But I mean, SimCity, I think had a. a I, I don't remember whether it had a year counter or not, but like the progression of time made no difference, mm-hmm. right? Whereas right. the progression of time actually made a big difference in Road Tycoon. That was right. a pretty big, big part mm-hmm. of the game, actually. Yeah, the newer engines and things, yeah. Yeah, I think we, you know, that was kind of around the time we came up with this 
one of our rules, you know, who's having the fun? Is the computer having the fun? Is the designer having the fun? Or is the player having the fun? You know, and, and I think SimCity was was a revolutionary game, but the computer was having a lot of the fun in in that game. You know, I think that was kind of what we when we looked at it, and we said, okay, we 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 want to move more of the fun to what the player's doing and 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 take it away from what the computer's doing. Uh, so, you know, I think there was kind of a, a lesson that we drew yeah. from from SimCity. Did you have that did you have that rule? Did you say that rule explicitly back then, do you remember? I don't know when it actually became a rule rule, mm-hmm. but um, I, mean, I think even going back to pirates, you know, the parser was having the fun in those <laughs> in those adventure games. So it, it was again trying to focus on the player, make the player the star. You know, that's kind of the what we'd say is 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 make sure the players is is having the fun in the game. But yeah, I I, I don't know when we actually made it a rule, um, but it was probably around that time. Yeah, and this was kind of I think the first time you did sort of a god level map type game right yeah i think so and yeah it was the first um god game the 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 lesson that that i drew from there was um this idea of interacting systems you Mm. know the the building system was one system the economic system was another system the operating system of the railroad was another system and then the competition and, and the bond market. And, you know, there was a bunch of pieces that interacted in a way that created um, a, a complexity that was constantly different. Yeah. But uh, the systems on their individually were kind of manageable and understanding and intuitive. And that was that was kind of the 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 light bulb moment, you know, that we can do all this stuff and keep it keep it manageable but by by having them interact and trade off and affect each other uh, we get a very rich game out of right. some some manageable pieces and that you know that really carried forward into into civ yeah um and uh it also um again uh kind of spoke to a new audience i mean it's amazing how people can get fanatic about railroad stuff but it but it kind of introduced us to 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 a new audience and it <laughs> and it spawned the tycoon genre <laughs> yeah like, i guess it's true i forgot that it was literally the first tycoon game it was the first tycoon game uh of which there were many <laughs> yeah. credit for that but, uh... should have should have patented that yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but it was interesting how all of a sudden, there were all these tycoon games. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. We talked a little bit about the economy and pirates because I think it, it is absolutely true that, you know, when we talk about the economy and pirates, there was just stuff going on, but it was kind of hidden and it was, mm-hmm. wasn't quite sure what was going on. And then when you moved to Railroad Tycoon, like that was to me, like the, the best part of the game was the, the, you could understand the economy, mm-hmm. like, yes. like what, what you're saying, like each of the systems were fairly simple, but then you saw how they all interacted. And so, you know, you had, you know, you, you know, you basically solved that problem because I guess the game was about that problem. Right. Like, it was, I mean, that was front and center and, you know, carrying things from point A to point B, making money and time and distance and, and those kind of things. So I mean, that was, that was uh, kind of what you would expect, I think, to be in that, 
game. Were some of those subsystems originally, like, do you remember versions of them that were too complicated? You know, like, sort of like the going back to the silent service, like, once you finally, you know, you could pick some options, but then when you kind of finally picked the right, right one, it was just perfect. Yeah, there were a couple of couple of issues. One was the supply-demand thing. I, supply made a lot of sense, but demand was more complicated. It, it, it got actually pretty overly nitpicky to have um you know only lumber mills taking lumber you know that that you had to really worry about both ends of the of the process and we we got to a point where you know kind of larger cities would take anything so you're kind of focused on getting this stuff but you didn't have to worry too much about um finding a place to 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 take it mm-hmm. and um we there was also the issue of um Figuring out what cars to put on the train and right. where did they go when they took them all? You know? <laughs> did you have to bring them back again? You oh, know, wow. so we kind of waved our hands over that. And, wow. You know, we'll we'll work that out for you. But yeah, it's you know another one of those things again that in hindsight yeah, you don't even think totally. about it. But we kind of said, well, yeah. I mean, I'm taking my yeah. Mind. I never once thought of that being a weird problem, but right. I, I've been in that situation designing a game where you think something. Well, we got to solve this issue, but mm-hmm. maybe not. Right. <laughs> right. Wow, that would have been really hard. <laughs> so it, yeah, again, it's kind of finding the level at which the problem is interesting, but not, uh, you know, not painful to, to to think about. So those were, those were some of the things. And uh, because it's fun to route your train cleverly, you know, say, okay, I'm going to take this to there, I'm going to pick this up over here and take it to there, and then I'm going to go back over here, and I've got this cool, you know, efficient yeah. route. But I've had to worry about taking the right cars back again, or where do they get dropped off? And you know, I think it could it, it you know the, the fun part is being clever about your routing, not worrying about all the details of, of where the cars start and stop and end up. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the things that we kind of kind of went through in terms of um, focusing in on and making the game as fun as it could be, and and using just the you know the, the amount of realism that worked, but not uh, worrying. Too much about being totally, totally realistic about things. Yeah. Now this must have been a much the the code base for this must have been a little more um, uh, challenging than for Pirates because you had a whole you know country simulating. Were you still right. were you writing in something different now or we were yeah we were writing in C uh, on the IBM at this point when we when we moved to the IBM we started writing in 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 C so um, that was you know pretty solid. Um, I think, if I remember right, the the top level map was you know the Eastern U.S. or yep. Western U.S. or whatever, and little dots would pop up there. I think that was actually the database. I think there was no separate. Uh, <laughs> just looking directly. No, the... it, we just looked at the colors on the map and said, "Oh, there's three greens there," you know, or uh, we're going to change that, flip that color because a train just arrived there from what do, you know. Right. I think that the 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 actual screen image was the database wow. for the world. Um, and, uh, and then we kept, yeah, we kept every, uh, and, and then all the zoom levels were generated on the fly from, from that, that master map and then feeding in the, uh, the track stuff that you had made. But, um, it was, um, yeah, I think w- with, we had plenty of memory, uh, right. with railroad tycoon, we, we ran out pretty quickly after that, but, uh, six forty forty was a was a it was a it was kind of a 
felt like we were really using real computers to do real programming, you know, as opposed to uh, yeah. stuff did we it, had done before. Did it feel easier or did it feel like you had to grow a little bit as a programmer to make a more complex system like this? It, um, I think we started thinking in terms of, of graphics libraries and a little more, um, a little more team team oriented uh work as opposed to the more individual stuff yeah. like i was working you know with someone who would kind of uh, pr uh put together a graphics library for some things and uh so the, the teams were starting to grow and and our our development times were you know getting closer to a year uh at that point so things just got a little more mm -hmm. a little bigger a little more and solid i was mostly only doing programming at this point well i would a lot of the art, um, certainly in Railroad Tycoon, is mine. Oh, really? Um, the, the the more the more per, small and pixely things got, the more I would tend to do that. Sure. I remember uh, creating fonts. Um, <laughs> it was one of the things okay. I just enjoyed doing. It was kind of like uh, on a lot of our games. I, I remember the Railroad Tycoon font. <laughs> it was very it was very newspapery, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there were, I know with F19, there were times when we were just trying to cram so much information onto that screen, which I think was still 320 by 200. Uh -huh. And um, so the question is, what was the smallest font you could create that'd still be legible, you know? <laughs> and um, so I came up with a three by five font. I was, just, I was just thinking, like, you could do an S with five pixels, right? Right. Up and down. <laughs> right. So, so three across, five yeah, high. Yeah. Okay. Um, you couldn't do lowercase, but um, <laughs> but I would I would design these fonts and and um, and the track. You know, the, 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 the more pixely things were, the more it was kind of more a problem of yeah. of, of of mechanics as opposed to you know art per se. But yeah, then but then the the, the more bigger the bigger screen things and you know the did these uh, games the, get translated the, back then or just not um let's see i don't think railroad would have um i don't know that i don't think it really got translated to you know the the commodores and the and the oh sorry i don't oh, <laughs> oh language -wise. i mean language wise oh, <laughs> uh, thoughts, yeah. hmm. i don't know um Probably, but it was not something that we had. It's pretty far downstream from you. Yes. Right. At yeah. That point, it was, you were on the other projects and not really worrying about it. Was it was yeah. I think I had to do. It, that was something that the port. I mean, we had this whole port yeah. system in those days that we. This needs to be written for this system or this language, and yeah, right. that was. We didn't. We hadn't created systems for that at that at that point. Yeah. I'd, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so was was Covert Action next, or was F nineteen next? Um, I think I'm pretty sure F nineteen was before before was first was before that. Okay. Um, I liked F nineteen a lot. I remember, <laughs> I, played the game and I remember it had a very nice. It was to me the first stealth game I ever played. Um, <laughs> yes, that was the that was the feature. Um, well, there were there were a number of features actually. Um, it was the last I'd say it was the last flight simulator I yep. wrote. Um, it it had we had gotten a little better with 3D 
-hmm. at that point in time. And um, I'm very proud of inventing the the tracking camera. That was kind of like, there had always been this problem with flight simulators that um, the enemy plane was very small. Mm-hmm. And he'd be working very hard to get someplace where you couldn't see him. Yep. Uh, so he's typically behind you somewhere where you didn't know where he was. Um, and uh, all these cool maneuvers that you wrote, you know, the right. high yo-yo and double barrel roll, you know, made no sense because you had no idea where they... The, <laughs> you <can laughs> so see you it. got into these constant turning things that you just yeah. turned and turned and turned and turned <laughs> until either he shot you or you saw him. Or, so um, I invented this tracking cam, which would um, follow the other plane, and you could always see where the other plane was because he was in the tracking cam. Um, <clears throat> and um, and then we said, oh, wow, why don't we add a missile cam so mm-hmm. that you can ride along with a missile as it flies, or a camera that shows you your target on the ground, or kind of, you know, we got camera overload. Well, <laughs> once, once we had broken the camera code, it was like, oh, we can do all these cool different things with, you know, a camera that follows me, and uh, you know, it was it was uh, it was fun just to kind of take that new idea and and really uh, and run with it and find all the different you know cool things we could do. With the camera, and it gave the game, you know, possibly a kind of a cinematic feel that you could kind of see yourself taking off and watch yourself from the third person, and uh, and, and ride on your missile as it went as it went to the target and, and track the enemy plane. Um, but the stealth aspect was um, was also fun to to get involved with because um the placement of the radars your orientation versus the radars and you know there there was a, a interesting problem as far as kind of playing the stealth game and trying to be un undetected as long as as possible um and that added a kind of a a new dimension whereas the the flight simulator genre was getting pretty kind of crowded and right. been there, done that, you know, and, and just getting more and more complicated. That was that was kind of the one dimension that things were going, and, and, and here we had kind of found a new dimension to not make the game more complicated, but um, but make it more interesting in a different way. Um, the irony is that our game was m- much more interesting than the actual stealth fighter when it came out <laughs> uh, because it hadn't actually been, uh, you know, been information. was out. It wasn't actually called F-19. It was called right. the F-117. Yep. And it looked totally different than, because we had based our model on, our, our plane on uh, a model that testers had released, you know, one of these model, these plastic yeah. model companies, what they thought the plane was going to look like. Yep. So we took that as our, inspiration and the the actual plane looked completely different the actual plane didn't have any guns on it mm-hmm. i mean can you imagine a, a <laughs> flight simulator <laughs> no with guns. no guns i mean that was that's no fun so uh uh so our plane you know i think was actually more interesting more fun than the real <laughs> stealth fighter well you're, you're lucky but, you didn't know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what was it you made the last fun <laughs> stealth fighter game right right but um yeah they, i mean the these different displays. It was. It was. I think it. It. There were a number of things that I thought really worked well in that game, and it, it hung together as a, as a, uh, you know, as a, really putting you in that situation and giving you a lot of interesting things to, 
to do. Yeah, so. I'm trying to remember. I remember enjoying, you know, trying to stay stealthy, but I have a hard time remembering the exact mechanics. Like, how did you? What were the choices you had to make? When there was, were there would be different radar sites on your on your on your world map. Yeah, and then if you were heading towards them, you were less visible. You know, the idea was almost like the side of your plane oh, was more, yep. was, you know, would reflect more of the signal than if you were heading towards them. So um, that was kind of the and then of course they're 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 they would overlap you know so you'd have to kind of figure out a path where you would not be presenting your your kind of side of your plane to the to the radar right. and i think they would kind of turn off and on some at some time so you get you know you have to kind of play that game a little bit right. um that's right now i remember you'd have, I'd have to plan kind of some of these bizarre routes right to get to, to where mm-hmm, final, final mm-hmm. location All right so and again, there was a lot of cold war. I remember, like Libya was one of our yep. one of our yep. uh, scenarios, and and different you know different cold war things going on at the time. Yeah. Did um, were you were you interested in making like a stealth uh, fighting game, or were you? Yeah, that was kind of that. encouraged to make another simulator. Um, no, I, I I thought it would. I thought that was a neat uh, di- new dimension to explore. Because it was different. Uh, yeah, it was different. And and we had the technology then, I think, to overcome some of these what I thought were deficiencies in this the simulators. You know, the the camera thing and the ability to to kind of track the other planes wherever they went and and um, see the, the 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 different loadouts and the chaff and flares and all that. You know, really kind of show you that uh, on the screen where we had to kind of rely on your imagination a lot in the past you know we could show these mm-hmm. expanding radar circles and you know uh, there was a tactical radar screen that would actually rotate with the orientation of your plane so you could see where the you know where the, all the targets and the other planes were and you could you could really to me for the first time actually comprehend what was going on hmm. and, and react to it i thought it so was, it's interesting because i think a lot of people have forgotten that you ever really made flight simulators at least you know that's the, right. definitely not the first thing they're going to think of you know when they think mm-hmm. of the sid meyer game right. um but so the, but I mean, this was also the last one you ever made right um right. did you i mean you know sort of it's obvious what happened right those games just kept getting bigger and more complicated and so, right. and so forth but mm-hmm. like is there a part of the des- the design for those games that you um still think could be improved like is there like, why did you stop, basically? I, I, yeah, I guess I didn't see a whole lot of room for improvement. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I still, still don't. I think we, you know, you know it, was an, it was a genre that we really, not only Microprose, but other companies kind of focused on in that time and did, you know, did really good work in. Um, I think, you know, today... The directions that would be interesting would be multiplayer or mm-hmm. networked or you know those yeah. kind of things. Um, but uh, I, you know, I mean, I did um, uh, Ace Patrol. Ace, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was you know that was actually a re, you know going way back to simplifying yeah. and mm-hmm. you know taking a whole different uh, look at that topic. You know that that was kind of interesting to take a a brand you know turn based approach to yeah. flight simulators. What what crazy craziness is that? Yeah. Um, but in terms of push, you know, another real time flight simulator, I think single player. I, I don't. I don't see a whole lot that I could add to that. I think it'd be more if, if it was more in the multiplayer direction or things like that. And I think they're 
good games out there like that already. Yeah. Uh, for me, from my own point, I, after F19, pretty much the only the only flight simulators I remember enjoying were all World War One flight simulators, which is basically because you couldn't screw up a World War One flight simulator by making it too complicated. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, um, like that seemed to be like it's it's sort of a classic example of a genre that you know just sunk under the inevitable like power of the, the PC is right. bigger, better, right. better. And 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 World War One kind of solves some of those problems, like the the other plane being so small problem, yeah. you know, there's they're they're unique close. shapes and they're close by and they're going slowly and uh, so it it kind of naturally is more understandable just because of the the, the, the physics of the situation. So yeah, and that was I think that's a, you know it's a good point. It it just naturally works better. Plus the planes are really cool. Yep. So. Yeah. Right. Cool. All right. Well, now we can talk about the covert action rule. Yeah. <laughs> So yes. I, didn't re- I didn't realize the history of that project went so far back. Like I know it was kind of like all I knew it was like kind of going back and forth with Civ and, right. and Covert Action, which one you're going to do and Bureau and Tune, but so right. that one took a long time to make. Yes, we started it and then we did um, did some rail did railroad. We we started Civ, stopped Civ, finished Covert Action. And then finish Civ. So right. there's a. It was. It was. Uh, yeah. It's a big, interesting. Interesting time. But uh, what was intriguing to me about covert action was the idea of trying to create a. Proce- I guess it'd be called a procedural story in right. these days. You know, a uh, an interesting spy mystery story that you would then kind of. Uh, deal with in a, in a pirates-ish manner with with different mini games, mm-hmm. um, and um, that was um, <clears throat> that was kind of the, the the basic idea. And some of the mini games I really thought worked well, maybe too well. Um, I think that you know, kind of was where the the covert action problem appeared. But um, I'd always been intrigued by code breaking, mm-hmm. you know, and to be able to put a code breaking game into yeah. your game was I thought was was cool. Yep. Um, and then the circuit game, yep. I thought that you know that that was an interesting kind of uh, uh, problem. So how do you make a game about circuit breaking? How do you make a game about code breaking? You know, uh, those were fun fun things to to res- to, to deal with and to think through. Um, <clears throat> and then there was the um, the the break into the building, you know, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool, but became That's a lot. the one place where it was too cool <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and kind of led to the covert action rule, whereas if you have really cool mini games and you cannot have a complicated story driving it, otherwise it, those two just don't live together and the, there's not room in the, in the brain to keep two complex problems uh, alive at the same time. And uh, I think that you know, I think I don't think it was the worst thing in the world, but I think we we uh, we kind of learned from that to find your center of gravity. It's kind of the term we use now: is where is the center of gravity of the game? Make mm-hmm. sure you know that that the player's mind kind of resolve revolves around that those kind of issues and the other things support that, but don't um, force them to kind of push that aside and and try and deal with a whole new uh, new set of things to think about. Yeah. Um, now, one thing that's 
sort of interesting, especially considering one of the uh, games Fraxis is now known for. Um, it's interesting that the covert action rule seems to fly against what makes XCOM work. Why does XCOM work when it seems to be an example of a game that runs afoul right. of the covert action rule? Well, I, I, funny you should ask that, because we <laughs> the, the, the term covert action rule came up quite a few times in, in, in the design of XCOM and talking about that. Yep. Um, I think... Um, I think the story, I think the center of gravity in XCOM is in the tactical missions. Okay. And I think the story is uh, uh, linear enough that it doesn't uh, require the player to try to keep multiple paths in their head at the same time. Right. I, I don't think when you're playing XCOM that you're choosing between branches that that project far into the future. I think you're choosing your next uh, weapon upgrade, you're choosing you know, who to take on a mission, what what to add to the player, but these are all short-term kind of decisions, I think. I don't think there's a... Um, <clears throat> you know, in covert action, you were trying to remember, okay, now, you know, Philip so-and-so has appeared, and what was his role again, and where, what city was he in, and how did he figure into this whole thing? Um, there's not that kind of uh, lots of moving pieces problem, I think, in XCOM that there was in in, in covert action. So I think I think it has a covert action has a very I mean uh, XCOM has a very clear center of gravity in the tactical right. missions, and um, and the uh, the strategy game just kind of whets your appetite and gives you a, a new problem, some new tools to work with in the next tactical mission. But right. um, I don't I don't think it really. Um, um, breaks the covert action rule, and I, I, you know, it was something that was actually discussed a fair amount in during the development. Right. Um, you know, and I, I think Jake is, you know, did did a good job of, of of kind of making that all all fit together. I guess the issue is there probably were ideas that came up for the strategic layer where you have to ask yourself, like, is this going to you know, are we moving the center of gravity from, you know, like, right. if we if we put too much stuff into the strategic layer, is then it going to be kind of like this weird right. weird experience? It could make the strategic layer better, but it might make the game worse overall. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, you know, more is not always better. And, and more has become very easy to do these days yep. with the unlimited resources that we have. So kind of deciding what doesn't go into the game is just as important as what deciding what does go into the game. Yeah. And so I think, uh, yeah, I'd, and, I'd agree with that. And I guess you could look at Pirates as kind of solving the covert action rule the other way, right? And that the mini games themselves are all yes. pretty short. Yes. You know, they're all a little pretty self-contained and they're going to be over quickly and they're not going to like, you're not going to lose track of what you're doing, especially right. since they're very much tied into the action you take, mm -hmm. right? Like you're attacking a city, so you're doing sword fighting and the whole purpose of the sword fighting is to take the city. Right. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they're they're short enough, and they and like you say, they they further the the story that you already have in your in your mind. You yeah. Know? When I played Covert Action, I was always I was intrigued by the stuff like the high level story that was being put together. But it is true that like I kind of like always I felt like I needed to spend more time on that just to figure out the system, and I was never mm -hmm. quite able to get mm -hmm. enough time to kind of see how the stories were put together. 
Um, it seemed interesting though. How what, how did the how did the story how were the stories ge- generated? Like what was there were the templates. They were okay. template based, um, and then we would plug in the, the names and the organizations to this uh, this basic template for you know their I don't okay. know twenty thirty templates of different kinds of. And each template might be a, a plot, so to speak. Right? Is that right? Right. Different events that had to happen, and then um, <clears throat> they would unfold over time which was kind of the cool thing that you were actually racing against time. Um, and if you could get to certain people before they could do the thing that they had to do, you would, you would foil the plot. Um, so the, the basic mechanism was, was kind of template based uh, in terms of how the plot worked. And then we would plug in in this, you know, this is the, this organization is doing it. This city is where it's happening, you know, kind of. So every time it would be different, different organizations, different locations, different people, but um, it was, it was, um, I would say it was not really procedurally generated, you know, okay. it was, it was, it was templates were the mechanism. I, I mean, I always wanted to do a Sherlock Holmes game that, yeah. uh, was truly procedurally generated, you know, from the kind of, um, working backwards so that you would unravel it forward. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes is always seeing the one thing that doesn't fit or the one, you know, the the thing that in hindsight you say, oh, I should have noticed that, you know. Right. <laughs> um, and kind of procedurally creating these situations where there is something out of place or something unusual in, you know. Um, but you have to have rules for what's usual to break. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> the idea of procedural is intriguing, but yeah, uh, was... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, how, do you, how would you do that? That sounds really hard. <laughs> yes, that's why it hasn't been done yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the procedural murder mystery game, I think, would be fantastic. But yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I, you, you have. I think you just have to have this set of things that are normal, you know, or and then kind of figuring out putting in one or two places where. The fact that this is different kind of leads you, you know, that's the clue that you're, you need to pick up. But anyways, it's, yep. it's TBD. <laughs> <laughs> all right, stay tuned. Um, cool. Um, all right, well, so you got Civ out, you got Covert Action out the door. Covert Action. As I've, told by, as I've been told by Bruce, partially so you could get, get focused on Civ. <laughs> right, um, right. So you'd already been working on Civ a little bit at this point. Yeah, I had done a first pass at Civ, kind of inspired by SimCity, um, and and the ideas from Railroad Tycoon of these different systems. Uh-huh. But um, it was... It was, was it always from the very beginning, like we're going from 4000 BC to 2018? Um, not necessarily. The, the, the tech tree came later, which um, I think kind of... Um, made time more of a critical element. I think there was no in the early part was originally it more like just Sim World, like SimCity, but on a global scale. Is it, that the most accurate way to describe? Yeah, it? I think it was. Yes, it was, it was more like um, um, do some agriculture here, people. You know, go mine this. Uh, this is a good place for a city. Now, if it was real time, what was the? I mean, what was the interface like in in SimCity? Your your interface is zoning. Right. right. Like, what is it? You would do things similar to zoning, like, you know, agriculture, this place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is zoned for agriculture. Yeah. And then your people would go on out and, and, and agriculture there. Uh, or, you know, mine over here. Um, and uh, uh, I, I don't know that 
it even got to the military, you know, any military stuff. It was more that first pass was more of that SimCity of kind of give people some general ideas about what to do and then watch it, watch it evolve. And, you know, I think that was kind of where it got stuck because there was a lot of watching right. and not as much doing. Right. Um, and uh, so we did, we did, uh, we put that aside and did finished up covert action and came back to the game with much more of a, uh, almost a wargaming feel. Mm-hmm. Um, units and uh, zones of control and um, <laughs> was was Empire influence here? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I played a fair amount of Empire and um, and that kind of revealing the map was 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 very satisfying. You explore. Um, I don't. I never explore. actually played Empire. Okay. You, yeah. You you explore an Empire. You explore an Empire. You you reveal the map. Um, you. Either place, I think the cities already exist, and you capture them. Okay. But um, but you have uh, kind of modernish, you know, World War Two-ish units, uh, infantry tanks, ships, um, and then. So it doesn't make a lot of sense, but <laughs> it's war game. It's very war gamey, I guess. But, yeah. yeah uh, it, it's not. It's not a simula- You know, it's not a historical simulation. Yeah. But it's it's very very much a, a, a mm-hmm. fun game, and uh, the but, revealing of the map, and then the kind of. Running into the enemy and say, "Oh, I right. see. There's some people over there." Yeah. Um, those those moments were ones that you know really resonated, and we kind of wanted to capture within the story of of, of civilization. Right. And um, cities were basically just unit producers. Yes. Is that right. Yeah. Like there was no more units, and you would slam them into the other guys' units. And, right. Right. You know. Yes. Was it um, a multiplayer mostly game? I mean, that can't um, be, no, that there can't was, be right. It must have been. I mean, there was decent then. AI. I, I don't remember. I don't remember whether it could be played multiplayer or not. So but, I, I yeah. just I feel like I remember it's it's one of those games that was on like university mainframes or something, mm-hmm. and like that's yeah. like there were. I don't remember. We, anyway, I, yeah. I didn't play it. So <laughs> so you played, but you played the single player version of it. Yes, that's what you remember. Yes, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was one of those games I got got hooked on for a while right um, <clears throat> okay so so that, that showed you one sort of a, a alternate path right for the civ prototype basically right that yeah that we that we definitely embraced and um certainly used the the kind of reveal map reveal mechanic and uh, the unit mechanic yeah, um, the tile mechanic tile know, yes yeah. and the and the kind of war game-ish sized tile mechanic uh, interesting. We had we had the hex versus square discussion. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and <laughs> did Empire Empire had squares? Had squares. Yeah. yeah okay. And we we decided that the world was not ready, ready for, for hexes, square. and it, it was too too freaky. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the uh, so though you know that that gave us a starting point. You know, a unit, a blank map, and uh, exploration and and building. Uh, and then we gradually layered on more and more of the the, um, the civ elements. Um, <clears throat> Did you introduce? Can't... So, it, if you're, were you starting at that point with a blank, starting with a blank map, starting with a settler, starting you found a right. city, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but you would have immediately had to add a bunch of stuff that Empire didn't have, I assume, like population and food and right farms and we wanted the city to be more interesting and 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 more uh kind of more of an investment something <clears throat> or something that you were invested in and um but again the mechanics were 
really, um, really simple. I think the um, fill up the bucket. You know, that was right. kind of the that was kind of the, the the basis of everything. You know, fill up this bucket and you'll get this. You know, another population person, um, technology, uh, the ability to build a building or whatever. You know, I think those um, keeping the mechanics really clean and simple was was a core idea that that really worked well there. I think. Right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So when did the when did the tech tree get involved? Because that presumably was a pretty big innovation. Yeah, I wish I remembered them. You know, the light bulb moment. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, what was? I guess it kind of begs the question: like, what was it like before? Right, without the tech tree, it's not like. Presumably, you didn't just start out and like, well, I'm going to build tanks because tanks are right. better than launchers. Right. right. Yeah. Like, um, how did it work before? I I think we were we were testing the mechanics with a kind of an ancient era feel okay. and you just didn't worry we'll, about it. we'll worry about that later. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, but I was, um, I was looking through these books, these, these couple of these timeline of history books, you yep. know, and I would uh, underline certain things and say, you know, yeah, that's gotta be in the game. And I, I think that probably was where the, the, the tech tree came from is just, you know, the way these timelines are laid out, you know, clearly this led to that. And, it just it it seemed like a very natural uh, concept at the time. I uh, the irony is I I felt it should represent the way things evolved, and you know that th it should have some randomness to it, and some uh, you, you shouldn't be able to plan like eight moves ahead right. your path with the tech tree because that's not how they did it. Yeah, they just figured out one thing at a time. Um, so there was a mechanic, I'm pretty sure it's, it survived in Civ 1, mm -hmm. where not every tech would appear every time you had the choice, yep. you know. And, yeah, I remember but, making note of that when I, when I did Civ 4, I played through all of them for the uh -huh, game, okay. and I played Civ 1, I was like, whoa, wait, you, <laughs> you're not giving me all my choices, like, I see the tech tree here, like, what's going on? Um, uh, well, you weren't supposed to see the tech tree. Well, but it, it was in to the, be... but it was in the manual. <laughs> right. Foiled. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> Darn that manual. Um, uh, so that was that was a mechanic that we didn't <laughs> propagate any further. But I, th I mean, it, it's interesting because people now, you know, diagram the yep. quickest path. In fact, now there's help. Say, if you want to get to gunpowder, yep. this is what you should choose next here in, you know, 3000 BC. Well, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a still, it's a very big tension because even though that's true, like, I think all of the SID designers have also still kind of wished that there was a way to randomize the tech tree some mm -hmm. because it would be like a, a huge way to add a lot more variety to the game. Mm -hmm. But it seems yeah. like there's, there hasn't, no one's come up with like right. the right way I, to do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's 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 interesting. I think um, the the other kind of weird. Sorry, before you jump yes, into that, yeah. did you do that again in CivRev? In CivRev, do you give people um, choices? What we did in CivRev was we allowed you to jump. Um, basically, a, a, a tech would have two prerequisites. Yep. But if you had one of them, you could you could get that tech for a higher cost. Oh, so okay. you could kind of shortcut the tree, mm -hmm. um, and by paying by, you know by paying more. Um, but now that you mention it, um, 
I think there was some randomness. I'm trying to remember how that worked. <laughs> Uh, I I can almost visualize the code, but I I'm not sure whether it remained in the game. Yeah, and I feel it, like there was some funny business going on. I there. think it had to do with either dropping out certain connections. You know that of the two. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm seeing the I'm seeing the data structure now. It's like certain texts would have three possible. Okay. Prerequisites. Sure. And the game would choose. In oh, this case, each... we're going to use these two. It'd be different from game to game. Yeah. Oh you, wow. You would you would have a you know of the three. This time we're going to use these two, and next time we're going to use these two. And you kind of you made that choice, but you also did make it clear to the you you, you chose not to make that clear to the player. Right. 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 Like you didn't have right. a dynamic tech tree that looked different each time. In fact, I don't really remember. Was there a tech tree you looked at in Sivrov? There was a yeah, there was a tech tree. Uh, there was a tech tree screen that would so you you'd would mouse show, over, and you would show the different arrows. I suppose. I'm not sure how whether you could look all the way through it or only to the kind of the next steps. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think you'd only see the next steps. Okay. But presumably so, that means it would have then shown the ones that worked for this event, version I mean, of the game. For this, if this you got close, you would have seen. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> I thought now that I would connect, this. and now it it, it doesn't. But um, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's I guess a... that, like you say, that's like the holy grail yes. of Civ designers. <laughs> We're always out. trying something different each time. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting. I haven't heard too many people comment on that. It, it seems like it seems like if you put that in one of the core Civ games, you could it. it uh, yeah, people, it would be it would be one of the main things that people would be talking about for that version. We um, had a lot of. More flexibility with Sivrev because we were, you know, kind of addressing a new audience. It was fun. I mean, it was a ton of fun to yeah. actually make make that game. But um, back to the original Civ, I think the the other kind of weird idea was this idea of zones of control that we yeah. actually used in in the original Civ, and yeah. it really it was war game based. And I really didn't realize that the game would end up being around. Kind of stacks of units, you know, piling into cities. Where you know, that's kind of right. where the where the mechanics ended up. But that wasn't how I imagined the gameplay at the beginning. You know, it was more like setting up defensive lines and you saw a war think, game where hexes all or counters all over the map. Right, right. Um, and by the time I guess I realized what was happening, it was it was uh, one of those ideas that you know probably should have been reevaluated later in the process. But mm-hmm. um, it, it it didn't. Caused bigger problems, but I think it—it it, it was not how I eventually, I initially imagined that the game would would play. But I think it, it's probably be- better that it, it, the way it turned out, the balance between military and economic and diplomatic and all you know is better for it. It still leans a bit towards the military, but it could have been a much more of a military game as opposed to the other things. And I think what what kind of stood out about Civ was the fact that it had all these different pieces that kind of worked together in, in an interesting way. So, you know, I think it turned out okay. There, there. <laughs> turned out okay. You can say that. <laughs> um, so, had you had you also been had you also played? I mean, I know Bruce must have obviously, but had you played the Avalon Hill Civilization or Advanced Civilization much? I actually had not. I think I played it once somewhere during the development um, of Civ. Of Civ. Okay. But it was a very card. Yeah, remember cards. they had like a card tech tree kind of where... And it was, I think it was limited to the Mediterranean, I'm not sure. Yeah, but, it was just the Mediterranean. Yeah. 
Um, and you're kind of just using moving population cubes around. Mm-hmm. But it did have sort of a tech tree in the sense that, like, what's a good example? If you had, if you had writing, alphabet would be cheaper. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not okay. like you had to have writing, but if you buy the text in the right order, mm-hmm. the next level text would get cheaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess is similar to <laughs> the idea we yeah. just mentioned recently. Right. Um, right. But, uh, um, but anyway, did, so with, when you, when it came time to, when you thought of the tech tree, I guess we still haven't gotten around to that. Uh-huh. Like, like how that happened exactly. I think it, um, <clears throat> it was based on these books that I was underlining oh, right. different yep. pages from, I think it, they kind of turned into, and turned into that. And then you just thought that, we should align them in order somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the idea of, again, prerequisites may just kind of made sense in, you know, knowing that we had to have this unfolding, this idea of unfolding. And once we were filling up buckets, you know, it kind of became, um, pretty clear how that just is just going to be another bucket that you fill up. And, uh, um, It's always beautiful when you already have a system to solve a problem. You, know, <laughs> you just change sure. a few lines of code, and yep. it, it's working. You know? So I think it it came out of the fact that we had the food bucket already, and the you know the, the hammers bucket, and now you have the shields. There were shields in those shields, days. Yep, shields. Uh, Why were they shields? Um, that's a good question. I just didn't think of hammers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they don't have to be hammers, but I never should shield. I guess it was a uh, a symbol that you could do in an eight by eight matrix uh, <laughs> that was pretty recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know why that it just just happened. I guess you know, you, you, I don't know. I don't have a good explanation. Um, yeah. The the weird thing about shields is is the half the grasslands problem that we. Oh, we right. were at the, every other one. Every, every or, other grass. Every third or whatever. Every yeah. other, every 50% of the grasslands have a shield. It was just, it was a kind of early uh, indication of how how delicate the, the system was that we had there. Because if, if there was a shield on every grassland, it was overpowered. Yep. And if there was a, no shield on grasslands, it was underpowered. And so eventually we said, okay, well, half, the, <laughs> half the grasslands are going to have shields. Um, that's right. But, uh, you know, once we had that, again, that bucket filling system for food and, and shields, uh, just, it worked well for, for science. So, so, right. And then science got like trifected into trade, got trifected into science and culture culture and, um, sliders. Yeah. Hmm. Did that happen? Later, I mean, I guess obviously you needed the tech tree first. Um, yeah, then we wanted money. How do we get money into the game? Um, and that we don't want to add a whole new system, so we kind of used what we already had the trade system to well, add you know, add to that so you can use it for science or 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 money or uh, or culture. Luxury. Um, luxuries, yeah. culture was a couple of versions, <laughs> <laughs> luxuries, right? Yeah. And then you had your happy people and your sad people. That was kind of a there's a, there's always a geometry problem with any of these games that start small and yep. grow. Yep. And uh so you're always fighting the the geometric progression. Right. 
And uh, so, lux- you know, people, happiness was kind of one of the mechanisms that we used to kind of damp down the the uh, geometric growth of, of cities, right. um, you know, in addition to the bucket sizes growing and things like that. So you're kind of, um, you know, the, the, the trick is to try and make it feel like you're progressing when you're actually just standing still, you know. <laughs> that's the that's the game, uh, you know, in terms of, 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 of the playing with the numbers um, in a way that that you you don't right and I think Sid has a you know a, a pretty uh, fundamental issue of getting so big being able to get so big that it you know it, it mechanics that work at the beginning have, right. have a hard time working at the end yeah and so I think we're you know that's another design challenge with Sid is finding ways to have that growth um, that feels epic but doesn't create epic issues for the for the player and, and we actually um cut the size of the map down in the original civ like you know oh, really? it, it was originally twice as big as it ended up being wow. um because of the you know just overwhelmingness of of that it uh, you know that it became that was before we had dedicated civ players that would be willing to spend <laughs> you know 80 hours yeah they eventually <laughs> did double the maps <laughs> right. they, they dialed it back to your your original setting um but um kind of managing that and then deciding when to end was the other right you know classic civ problem is uh how do we end this game because there's always some new thing to develop and um i think bruce talks about how he's embarrassed that we have future technology in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah he mentioned that <laughs> If he, if he had one thing to do over again in his life, he would <laughs> he would figure out what are those future technologies. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, but, I don't I don't necessarily agree with him because you have to end the game wherever you run right. out of technologies. That's the end of the game. Right. 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 So if you just added more technologies, you're just extending the game. Right. Like there's. No... I I I agree, but he 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 doesn't he doesn't <laughs> see the wisdom of our. Yeah. So uh, how, when it comes to ending the game, how, so presumably there was always military victory right right wipe out everyone and you win right it's just you know. right but right classic where did the uh, where did the space <laughs> race come from uh it, to reward different play styles i think the you know that was kind of the builder the mm-hmm. builder could could uh could win versus the space race and it was um we, we didn't anticipate the sequel you know the sure. alpha centauri but it uh, provided kind of a hopeful uh, ending to the game, you know, a, a kind of a dramatic, uh, not ending with a whimper, you know, ending with a with a, a real achievement. I think it it, it worked uh, well there, and it I'm pretty sure it had that kind of also that race idea that you wanted to get your ship there before the other the other civs did, and it was kind of an interesting ending to the game. We were actually hoping that. There'd be this dynamic where you would launch yours, and then they would launch a faster one. Right. Then you'd have to go over there and take them out because otherwise they're going to yeah. win the game. Um, Seems like so. this is another debate. This happened over and over again. Uh, I think with one of one of the versions I worked on, we just ended it as soon as you launched because yeah. we just decided like that was cleaner. That was <laughs> yeah. There, uh, exactly. there, you know, number of ideas that we tried left, you know, thought would work that didn't quite work out the way we expected them to. But that's what happens when you have a game as you know with as many different moving parts as right. as Civ has? But we were kind of not afraid, I think, to try stuff 
And, uh, um, what did you, I mean, presumably at some point you saw this sort of strategy where someone would just basically build a city on every other tile. That, that kind of surprised us actually. We, we did our first patch, uh-huh. uh, on Civ because of that, um, it was that and there's also like the chariot strategy or something. Okay. Um, people were playing the game to the extent that um, for the first time the idea of exploits sure. kind of appeared, mm-hmm. and uh, so we did actually uh, release a, a, a fix for the city or an adjustment for the city's issue, and I think for the chariots uh, issue um, <clears throat> that I now, think involved you... corruption, but. Yeah. Now, how do you personally? Oh, that's that's where corruption came from. I Originally, think it wasn't, so. It wasn't in the original I, version. Of I wouldn't swear to that, but I think it came as it might have been the mechanism to deal with the city's uh, spamming hmm. problem. Oh, that's that's uh, very interesting. I mean, it makes makes sense. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the purpose of corruption, basically, is to mm-hmm. you know take stuff away from you if you have too many cities um, and. Is has also been iterated on, right? <laughs> <many times. laughs> um, wow, that's 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 interesting. And um, we had the uh, what was it? You know, the dirty. There was a dirty pro- dirtiness problem at the end of the game where stuff would start to go get polluted or yeah. whatever, and um, that that was kind of like trying to give you the signal. <laughs> to, to get, uh, we, I, I don't think that got propagated to any any other Civ games. That might have been a an awkward uh, it, awkward. Actually, it stuck around. I think till the end of three. Oh, okay, all it was, right. It wasn't until four until we took out pollution. Pollution. Yeah, no one oh. ever really loved. Pollution. <laughs> um, much fun about it. And we had global warming. I was actually. You know, mm-hmm. in hindsight, I was kind of proud of the in the, in the nineties. We, <laughs> yep, yep. we recognized global warming as a as a significant issue. What had, uh, would you lose? Would you lose land? Yeah, you'd lose some coastal, land, but, yeah. and it was it was kind of tied into the nuclear thing. Like, yeah, I was the reason not to use nuclear weapons because it would start to accelerate global warming. Yeah, and I guess the pollution was also if you didn't clean it up, yep. it would start to get your global warming. Yeah, I remember you would have the nuclear nuclear plants. I think. That oh. were like great, but then every once in a while would just <laughs> and then you get pollution everywhere. You know, as a designer, you have ultimate power. With ultimate power comes very little responsibility. <laughs> you know? Well, so that's a. I mean, when you were making Civ, like, what did you think you were making? Did you have any? Could could you have ever conceived that twenty five years later we'd still be? No. Talking about it like this? No, no. Um, we knew it was fun. We knew it was it was a fun game. Um, but there had been certainly no historical examples of games that have had you know had that kind of longevity at that point. And um, you must have been we, a sense though you were you were working on something that was special though. Is that true? Yeah, I think we 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 knew this was more fun than um other games and it wasn't it wasn't really fun it was there was a compulsion about it mm-hmm. that transcended fun a little bit you know um <laughs> is, that, is that good it, or bad <laughs> it sounds a little ambivalent it, well <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um but there was a, a little bit of a quality to it to uh-huh. the fun that was different Okay. And um describe that. I I I remember my um 
in the middle of the development, uh, we went on a, on a, on a vacation and my, um, my brother, I had a prototype, early prototype of the game and my, 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 my brother started playing it. Uh, he was, he might've been in his uh, teens at the time. Um, and we didn't see him for hours <laughs> and it was like, wow, you know, um, here's, you know, here's this early, early prototype. And, and, and that was just another indication that there was something compelling about the game that, that we hadn't tapped into before. And, uh, so I, th I think we knew we, we, we had a sense that there was something a little different about the game. Can you, but how would you define that? But. Well, it's uh, we've we've kind of analyzed it now and try to figure out what you know what is it about the game that 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 creates that 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 compulsion or that that sensation, and you know it's become encapsulated in the one more turn idea, and there's there's a couple of things that we think are happening there that that um, uh, <clears throat> what's very powerful I think is a is a game that. Uh, allows you to spend a lot of time in the in the future that a lot of the time that of your time is spent mm. thinking about what's happening next what's you know you spend a lot of your time thinking about the future and not necessarily the, the present right and heaven forbid the, the past you know what right. just happened <laughs> I, I gotta figure out what happened you know that's that's death there so um i think the game the, the simple systems allow you to project easily as to what could happen next what might happen next what should i do next you know those kind of future looking things um there's also um a lot of en enough overlapping threads that you're never at a good stopping point you know there's kind of yeah. always that next unit that you're building the next continent you want to explore the next technology that you're going to discover those are all uh again things that have you thinking in the future and and wanting to kind of go you know, get to that next level that next achievement the next accomplishment um so that keeps you you're never finding a resting point you know there's always uh, something one or two things that you're you've got uh <clears throat> that you're looking forward to to accomplishing um i think the um there's the discovery, the you know, your the things that you're looking forward to are are significant. You know, I've got a war going with uh, Genghis Khan. I got to deal with. You know, um, uh, there's this cool new unit that I I, I got to build some more of. Or you know, just an, enough. Um, your 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 brain is full. I think when you play Civ of the game, you know, there's mm -hmm. there's um, there's no room for. Out real life, you know. <laughs> if you you know if you have to deal with real life, you've got to kind of leave that world and and uh, so it's it 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 has that kind of hard to stop playing. I think because of those different factors that kind of come together. Right. Uh, okay. What about the and what about the topic itself? Like I kind of, I mean, to, to me it seems like a bit of a chocolate and peanut butter type thing, right? Where you had this very compelling. Mm -hmm. turn-based mm -hmm. you know sequential right you know overlapping goals type thing but the, but to marry that to world history seems like just this this great match when you when you first started the topic like it seems fairly audacious like remember you used mm -hmm. that, the right. term before for seven seasons of gold like were you ever worried that you couldn't like i think a lot of the, 
it would be, in fact, I know there are other designers who are working on other world history games during this time. I know Dan Bunton was, I know uh, mm-hmm. Chris Crawford were, and those projects didn't quite come together. And it's just, it seems like it'd be very easy to overdo a game about world history. Like, yes. Like, it how w- did you? It would be. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we moved up to the, you know, we went up to that line a few times. Um, I think we what we did was we started with the ancient era, mm-hmm. and I think in the back of my mind was we this game could probably just be about the ancient era, you right. know, if if it had to be. Hmm. Uh, we'd like to push it, you know, beyond that. But um, I mean, in my mind, there, you know, there's kind of the Roman Empire was mm-hmm. the model for the ancient empire, um, kind of the. You know, we we had medieval, <clears throat> and there's a kind of Napoleonic Civil War era was kind of a you know, and then World War Two was kind of a model for the later. So I think we had kind of models for the different what we wanted the progression to feel like and, and the eras to feel like. You're kind of going uh, through multiple different playsets, right? You know, sequentially, yeah. Right? I think that that was that was one of the ideas, and um, the question was, can we create mechanics that would hold up? through all those different uh, eras, you know, and um, <clears throat> we we definitely, um, you know, airplanes, <laughs> that's yeah. a challenge. Um, I mean, we're good. We're golden up until airplanes. You know? I think <laughs> then we, we had to start to, you yeah. know, think a little harder. Uh, and how would... Uh, well, everything know, else was, was, you know, reusing the same mechanics over right. and over again. Right, right. Right. It's really hard to introduce a significant mechanic at the 10-hour mark, you know. Yes, yes. So that, you know, that's that's kind of what encouraged us to kind of bring the game to a conclusion shortly right. after that after that time. But you know, it turned out the mechanics that we that we had uh, worked well in their simplicity. I think you know, in in the in the fact that they were very straightforward. You know, attack, defense, and move is a concept that that you know, works well in, in different eras. If we tried to get more into formations and things like that, you know, all of a sudden things would have started to, to break down. So I think that keeping that simple allowed us to to deal with these all the you know these eras. And then um, you know, first kind of naval, and then air was where we started to uh, <clears throat> have to really uh, expand the system. And and we didn't didn't want to go too far in those directions with you know changing the rules, like you say two-thirds of the way through the game. So um, I think it held up, uh, but I, I, I think at the beginning we were we would have been willing to to kind of end the game wherever it started to, to break down. And, and, you know, we pushed it as far as we thought we could because uh, we, we could have gone into the modern era or, you know, whatever. But, again, the, I think the mechanics would have started to show their limitations more and more if the further we'd gone. So sure. we kind of stopped it at that point. All right. Did you... Um... One one question that gets brought up a lot um, is with Civ is like people have the concept of like when they have a battle they want to go into the battle. Was that ever something that you guys actually <laughs> considered, or was it the anyway? Go ahead. Yes, we actually that was part of the design of Civ Two actually. Oh really? Okay. Because um, I was playing these Koei games, um, uh-huh. which were kind of had I think hex based hex based uh, combat systems in them. Mm-hmm. And um, the deal was, Brian Reynolds, who, who designed Civ Two, 
um, his wife got a job in England, yep. uh, and and so he said, okay, I'm going to go to England. I'm going to write Civ two, yep. um, and when I come back, it'll it'll be done. Um, and we talked about it. and I said, well, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have these tactical battles? Um, I'll write this battle system because I've been playing these Koei games. I think they're kind of cool, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll you know we'll work it into to the game. So he went off to England, and I started playing with the tactical battles. I got, I don't know, wasn't that, I was, got bored. I don't know, wasn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Brian, you know, I don't think I'm going to do the tactical Let's not do that. <laughs> he said, okay. <laughs> so we didn't have tactical battles. No, that's how the sausage the best. gets made, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was very much for the best, I think, because we would have yeah. had the covert action problem and yeah. you know, and, and doubled or whatever. But um it, interesting, you know, with the five to see the, the the evolution there, I think which made a lot more sense than what we were trying to do. But um well, to me, so works because it's kind of like to me. What the audacious thing design wise is, you put an economy game and you put a tactical combat game, and you like just decide that they're going to be on the same grid, mm-hmm. you know, and just mm-hmm. be like, well, <laughs> we'll see what happens, right? You know, right. like it's led to some challenges, but that's sort of what makes it work, mm-hmm. right? Like, if, yeah. you, if you moved it to a different screen, like it just becomes a totally different game at that point, right? Right, and I, again, I, I think that the covert action rule kicks in there pretty pretty hard, so. Um, you know, I'm glad we, we, we didn't go there, but it definitely, we actually had a plan at one point to, mm-hmm. to do that. And it just that. didn't happen. Um, when did the idea for wonders come up? Because that seems like a pretty, like <clears throat> one of those core cool things about first of, yeah, I think, uh, you know, basically I took these books and shook them yep, and all yep, the yep, pieces yep. fell out <laughs> into the game. I mean, that, that, uh, again, came out of just reading the, overview of history and um uh it's always fun to to figure out you know the mechanics you know like okay we have these wonders um you could only build one of them you know okay that's an interesting uniqueness about wonders but did you ever think of like maybe everyone could build one pyramid or was um at the beginning it was like it was a race to see who i think it was that was what was going to be special about wonders is that it could only be only be one of them, and the you know the first person to build them got them, um, and then because um, we had the seven wonders of the ancient world, but then we said, "Oh, this is fun." Now we need you know seven more wonders here, and then another seven wonders over here. You know, yeah, yeah uh, I remember there were, I remember there were twenty one, like you right. were specifically right. Trying to do that. I, I, I think, again, in my mind, there was like the ancient era, then the kind of gunpowder era, and then the modern, you know, the, yep. were, those were, in my mind, those were kind of the the scenes of the game. Uh, so, we, you know, we had three sets of, of, of wonders. And the, uh, I think we had 16 sieves in the original game. We had 16 colors. Right, you had to work two with. for each color, right? Isn't that Yeah, idea? I think we, we uh, right, and the, and the couldn't have the two in the same game right so uh, yeah exactly but, and i never understood it until you explained that to me later like i had no idea that it's an interesting way to kind of mix it up but i guess there yeah there were two types of sieves that could never be against each other right we, we only had 16 colors to work with and and four of them were shades of gray um why and, did you decide that the sieves had to be of a certain color though i mean that's kind of like a self-composed imposed constraint yeah which is fine but i um 
Well, I mean, England has to be red, right? <laughs> okay. France has to be blue. I don't. I. How could you do it any other way? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I. I. I just see. <laughs> China has to be yellow. Yeah, I just see. See the sieves as right. those colors. I don't know. I. Romans were designer. Red, right? You get I to make the rule. If you're. Uh, I don't know. They might have been purple. They, uh, they were white. I think they were white. white. Yes, yeah, they were. Right. I think they were like. Um, when I when I tested, I always played as Rome. They were kind of like the default suit, yeah. and uh, so I think they they had had white. Um, but yeah, they're it's one of those things I I never questioned that yeah. that they're always going to be the same. Did you? Color. It seems to me also a little. I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of helped guide sort of sort of the slightly tongue in cheek humorous tone of the game like the mm -hmm. idea of like having the americans show up in 4000 bc and right. like have a blinken appear and <laughs> like was there were there any debates about like what kind of tone that would create like um i we we definitely waved our hands over how did the Americans show up in 4000 BC and why is Abe Lincoln there? I mean, I think that um, those were those were things that going the other way would have made the game less interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the tone was set in part by the graphic limitations that we that we had. We were <clears throat> we were not going to be able to create a realistic image of of Abe Lincoln with. Uh, with 16 colors and uh, so I think it it kind of evolved from and we and we had like two or three artists <laughs> um, so it was kind of what we could do and I think it it um, you know it it worked out and it's always f fun for me to amp up the you know the rhetoric of the of the leaders or make it you know give it a little more intensity by whatever you know tools we can we we can and uh and it was i think it was easier to make them a little bit funny than to try to make them realistic so sure. that was that was yeah. a technical limitation <laughs> how did you uh, how did you design the diplomacy for the game like what was your basic intention it um i think the the it was clear that that too much diplomacy could kind of overwhelm the game that um if if everybody ganged up on you you were going to probably going to lose you know that 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 would be there was this image in my mind of the you know uh knocking over the chessboard you right. you it's okay for the player to knock over the chessboard cuz they're playing but it's not fair for the ai to to, to knock over the chessboard or create a situation where um you know the players kind of losing because of factors that are not very much under their control right so um so it was kind of a uh very binary situation of our you know is it peace or war and 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 if it's going to be war there are kind of clear reasons why there's war and there's ways to avoid it um um <clears throat> so it was it was it was uh something that you felt like it needed to be there but it, it, you know, at that point, it felt like it needed not to play a, a really major role in right. the in the in the progress of the game. And similarly with nuclear weapons, was another thing that you know we we very clearly discouraged the AI from using nuclear weapons unless right. there was a provocation. You know, because it, again, it would kind of knock over the the table and you know 
mess yeah. up the game for you. But if so. there was war, you kind of wanted the human to make that choice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. To. To. I'm right. trying to remember if the AI. I mean, I seem to remember the AI declaring war on me, but it could be it was that that loop of they keep asking for things. Well, they would look at your strength and their right. strength and and. Why well, a um, terrible tendency to not build any military units? Oh, okay. And be like, wow. I need some just. I need some more libraries, universities. Uh, I can get by. Uh, yeah, it, it's a tricky issue. I mean, I think that. Um, th- there, it's there to provide uh, attention. You know, the possibility of war is there to provide like attention and a, an incentive to grow. You know, and a, a, uh, to to feel an urgency about growing and expanding and and, and getting better. Um, but th- I think there is a tension there between uh, it being too powerful or or not interest not interesting enough. But yeah, it was. I mean, I, what I remember was a, it was it was designed to be a a very straightforward system and yeah. not but not you didn't have a thing that near the end of the game if the if the human was in a leadership position the ai wouldn't get more they wouldn't just start declaring war on the human do you remember um i think there there was um if you were if you were leading if you were powerful they they would not shy away from declaring war on you i think mm-hmm. i think that they would kind of see that you were looking you know, you're uh likely to win and uh right they might declare war on you yeah every now and then <laughs> it's possible <laughs> this has always been a tricky it is. Uh, it rope is. Yeah. To walk for all the Civ games. I had to deal with this for Civ three and Civ four, and like it's uh, because the human. I, I think the human will not let the AI can't do the same type of things the human would. You know, like you play a right. war game with your friends, and you know you're playing Risk, right? And mm-hmm. one player is clearly in position to win. No one thinks twice if the other three players all get together and gang up on the leader. Right. Right. Like that's just. People being people playing the game to win the game, mm-hmm. right? But you can't really do that in a Civ game because people feel like the AI right. is cheating, or mm-hmm. the, you know, like you said, like the AI is like throwing over the right. chessboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, you can't you can't really the, the AI can't really play the way the human wants to. But people seem to like that's their expectation that it should be right. like this. Like they want that, but they don't want. It. Don't, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But, yeah, it's tricky. It's a tricky. A situation i think that yeah it's one that has evolved over the different civs i think too. right i think in civ one didn't you like if you wanted diplomacy didn't you actually have to build a diplomat and like if you wanted to hmm. engage in dipl- diplomacy i'm trying to remember could be i know like, there, I, there, there was definitely not like a click button to talk to leader mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. um i think you could uh, or they would pop they would up every now and then yeah they would right. pop up and every now and then and talk to you yeah. Which is which is interesting because it's, it's another one of those things that kind of gets forgotten as the series moves forward. But there are a lot of problems with allowing players to talk to the AI whenever they want to, <laughs> because then then the whole system it be, just becomes very like it feels like you're playing a you know a, a coin machine. You're playing like a not a slot machine, but you know like 
like it's it's very transactional, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. know, like you're you're viewing the AI as these things where you like you you give them X and they give you Y, and that's right. just becomes part of part of the game mm-hmm. as opposed to like if you don't have control of when you talk to them, you know, then it's you know you have a lot more as the designer you have a lot more control over the pacing and how the diplomacy mm-hmm. feels. Right? Yeah. I think the answer is just to have everybody at war with everybody all the time. I mean, I think that, <laughs> that solves a multitude of problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, one. I think we're almost done with Civ. One last thing. This is um, this is, I think, the first game where you made a random map. Um, right? Probably uh, the the location of resources in Railroad Tycoon was somewhat randomish, um, but. Yes, this was, yeah, this would have been the first random map game. Do you remember, like, how you how you did that? Or, like, um, was there, was I did probably process? stolen that from Empire. Um, they, they, that, that game had a random map each time, and that was the whole fun of Discovery, you know, kind of based around that. Um, but it was uh, definitely, you know, something that worked really, really, really well. Um you know, in terms of replayability and, and discovery and things like that. So, uh, um, yeah, splatting, splatting out those continents. <laughs> was, was the code that complicated, or were you? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, there was uh, just some splatting. A lot of splatting happened. Yeah. On an empty map, and then you splat, splat out some continents, and. Um, trying to think how how much sanity checking we would do probably not not a lot i was very worried about uh the time to calculate movement paths Mm, sure um which turned out not to be all that bad but um so you're you're worried about a continent being too big basically well or being tricky you know tricky uh to move Mm -hmm. um but i think it was it was pretty um pretty splatty just pick a point start drawing in things around that point for a while and then yep. pick another point um some of the later civs have had more more elaborate map generation things which not a bad idea but in those days you know civ, civ one did not have a did civ one have the options for pangea and islands and no i don't think there were i don't think there were any map options if I, that i remember not even size i think it was not even all, size really i don't think size was oh. an option you just dealt with the world that <laughs> this you is what given. you got <laughs> yeah i mean the whole idea the whole idea of options mm-hmm. um i remember giving a talk early on where Every game should have four difficulty levels. That's the perfect number. There's no reason to have any other than four difficulty levels. You know, there's the one where basically the player's going to win and gets, you know, gets to yep. enjoy all the. There's, there's the one where they get a little better. Then there's the fair level, which is the right. third level where everything's fair. And then there's like the very hard level. Yep. That's all you need. Um, Civ is a lot so, more than four. Difficulty so it's not like nine levels or something. <laughs> they keep adding. We have difficult. We have difficulty level uh, uh, sprawl or what's it or creep. Difficulty creep, creep. Creep and picking map size, you know, and picking the type of terrain and picking the number of uh, you know other civs and all these things have gotten added. You know that we 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 didn't think they were. You know, yeah. you played the game. But we give you, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're the designers. You're not a designer. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's a, it's a reflection of how you know how how deeply people have gotten into the game. That's that's one thing that we had never seen before. Is yeah. 
is this kind of depth of play and analyzing the trade-offs and the you know and the and the formulas behind wanting to know the formulas behind things and um, yeah that, that was that was a kind of a revelation with Civ is how how deeply people got into the into yeah. it wanted to know the mechanics and things like that yeah well yeah let's talk about that for just a little bit so you were, you know you finished up Civ shipped it out how soon did like what was how soon did you have a sense that like the response to this game is a little different to it took a while to? it took a um it took a couple of months i think uh, but we started getting letters um with again this more in-depth uh comment you know commentary and suggestions a lot of for the first time we were getting a lot of actual gameplay suggestions that uh-huh. was that was different that you know with pirates where a few people said oh i like the game but this is how you should change it you know right here it was more yeah you know but this should be different or here's a new system or you know why did you do this so people were playing the game to a different level and mm-hmm. that was kind of, that was something that we recognized from from the the feedback that we got in the um and the um you know the letters and then we started seeing in the magazines and some of the other feedback that um, they were having that same experience of really getting deeply into the game and kind of appreciating that it had um, kind of done done more in terms of depth than, than most other games had. Right. And um, so we, we, you know, we, we kind of uh, felt good about that. It, I think it was recognized as maybe stretching... Um, you know, it, it used strategy used to be a bad word as far as games work. You know, as computer games are concerned, if you you know, right. ooh, that's a strategy game. You know, it's going to take forever and be complicated and take just an hour just to set it up. You know, um, and you know, I think in a in a way we kind of made the world safe for strategy uh, on in computer games, and and it kind of became a uh, a legitimate. Uh, genre and type of game, and we, we started to, we started to get that feeling that people said, "Oh, this is a cool new kind of game that maybe we should see more of." You know, and that was that was some of the feedback that we started to get, which was which was cool. Hmm. You mentioned earlier about that you know that that first patch based off of uh, sort of some right exploit. So. <laughs> How do you how do you make the decision? Because sometimes it's a lot fuzzier. How do you did you make a decision between what you consider an exploit and what you consider just a, the player being smart? If it's kind of guaranteed, I think to win, you know, if guaranteed to work every time, I think that's that would be an exploit. I think the and and it and aesthetically it was ugly, you know, to, <laughs> to splat cities everywhere. Right. So I think those two things together made it yeah. uh, mandatory that we we put out a patch. Yeah. And I think there's also an issue whenever a game encourages play that ends up being unfun mm-hmm. because it's tedious, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Like anytime you you know you see that possibility, like you know if you can avoid it, that's right? A thing. Right. Um, now the good thing was in those days we didn't have the internet, so if one person discovered this, it, not, it didn't necessarily <laughs> mean that start. everybody would start playing that way. You know, now if you have an exploit, it's propagated instantly. You know, so it's 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 actually more critical to fix it now. You know. It, Maybe just a few people would run into something that you know, but but now of course instantly, yeah, known. Yeah. So what do you? I mean, looking back now, from you know, so far now it's been twenty five years, basically twenty five years. Yes. Um, Coming like up. what? I'm not sure the right what exactly the right question to ask uh. is, but like, <laughs> how do you feel about that time when you're making Civ? Like that must have been a special time in your life, in a sense, it, right? Like. It, 
In a way, I, uh, it was it was fun, but they were all fun games to. I mean, Pirates was a fun game yeah. to make, and Railroad Tycoon was a fun game to make. Uh, games are just fun to make. I think um, we we really didn't have a sense that that this was going to be you know, Quantum's different from other games that that we were making. We we thought it was good. We thought it was you know creative and had new ideas in it. But uh, had it flopped, we would not have been shocked, you know, mm-hmm. I think. So I guess strategy is a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, designing games is like the best job in the world. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't look back and say, well, that was, that was fun. You know, that was, I don't, haven't had any other fun, but that, you know, that, that particular game was particularly fun to make. Uh, to me, they're all they're all all fun to make. Now, the response to them is something I have limited control over. I think, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very gratifying to 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 acknowledge the response to Civ. You know, and I've said, if my gravestone says Sid Meier developed Civ, you know, I'm happy with that. You know, <laughs> I, <that's, laughs> right. uh, I think you know that that's a game that I'm happy to be known for, um, but. In my mind, it doesn't stand out uh, as something very unique from all the other games that 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 I've worked on. Um, right. There, are, you know, I can look back. Um, it's, it's funny because this discussion kind of brings up all the things you would have done differently. Sure. Yeah. There's probably just as so many things I would have done differently in Civ One as in any of the other games that hmm. I've, I've made. It's interesting, uh, but. Um, what's, my what's does, springs uh, your mind, right? Well, I think, you know, episode. zones of control, right. uh, pollution. <laughs> sure. um, uh, I don't know about hexes, but um, yeah. I think there are. You know, there's a, uh, uh, the the, uh, the the diplomacy system. I think is yeah. questioned. And so there's. Well, one of the nice uh, things about Civ is that those right. those things actually have been iterated. On right. Now, right. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I mean, it's interesting, and and it's not like. Well, some of them have been solved, I think, but yeah. there's still some of those are still open questions. I think they, mm-hmm. I would claim that they were tough issues, even in that day, even initially. You know, yeah. that wasn't necessarily a, an obvious uh, solution. But, um, but I, I mean, I, I look back fondly on that time. You know, because fun to make the game. You know, working with Bruce was, was a special experience. Uh, being at Microprose at that time was. Uh, a special experience and being in the industry at that time was a special experience. So I think those, there's a lot of things that, that kind of come together, uh, during that time, you know, we were, we were really, it was before the, the genres, we were experimenting with, uh, you know, able to experiment with lots of different ideas. We were look, we know, we were dealing with, a with a one year development cycle, which allowed us to, you know, uh, not get as you know, not get really tired of a game before we before we shipped it. Yep. And um, and the the investment that players were willing to make in terms of um, graphics UI, you know, they were willing to cover for a lot of things that we couldn't do with 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 you know with their imagination with their uh, their willingness to, to to kind of try things out. You know, I think that that, that that was that was that allowed us to to try new things and, and 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 understand that they would kind of meet us halfway in terms of 
This you know this feature isn't totally fleshed out with graphics and UI or whatever, but you get it right. Okay, you know, have fun with that. So it was there were there were some things that about that time I think that were that were pretty especially cool. Cool.